Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners. It's Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Yep, your Wyoming hayseed is back, bringing you the Cowboys take. You know, the show where water runs downhill, not uphill, and two plus two is four, not five. Lots to cover with you today. Busy, busy, busy week. They all are. It's going to get even more so. I'm going to bring you the history of immigration in the United States this week. Next week, I'm going to finish up with kind of the recent history of immigration, all the games that are being played through visas. and <laughs> What's being done is a travesty. It's treasonous. But before we get into that, you need to know where we've been going back way to the beginning, the colonies. And that's where we're going to go. And then I'm going to bring you the rest of that story. Then we're going to talk about military readiness. I'm going to bring you the scathing departing remarks in a letter from the four-star that was appointed by Trump to head the Space Force, who has resigned in disgust several weeks ago. It's not good. It's not good at all. And then we're going to do a really big rat-a-tat-tat. I've been threatening that for, I don't know, two months. Just been too much going on. And we have all sorts of stuff. (laughs) You know, eyebrow-raising, jaw-dropping, teeth-chattering stuff to bring you up to date on, including what just happened in the last five or six days, which is unbelievable. We're going to talk a little bit about what you need to do to get geared up for this election. We've had primaries, a whole bunch of them several days ago, lots of things decided, and you need to get off the couch if you have not already. This is critical. And if you think that all the nonsense about the red wave and the worst year for Democrats forever and, you know, uh, they're going to be hammered into extinction. If you think that's correct, you got another thing coming. It's not going to be correct until the dust settles and the last vote is counted, which will be days after the election, given how the Dems like to do it. In other words, post-election. And those results depend on you and me and everybody else you can get involved. Let me start off before we go into the founder's quote to gear up today's show. For all of you coast to coast and Gulf to Canada and around the globe, thanks for listening. Let me tell you about a little story from the ranch. You know, it was a dry, dry winter and a dry, dry early spring. We got a couple of storms over the last three or four weeks which saved our bacon at least temporarily. And it's a very intricate pattern of irrigation out here. Water is everything everywhere, but it is particularly everything in the arid west. And there's a series of ponds, of reservoirs that collect water. So that really irrigation water is used three or four times before it gets back to the creek and travels to the plat and then down to the gulf. And every day you check these ponds, you check their levels, you make sure they're not overflowing, you make sure they're not too full. You check the ditches for the same reasons, too little, too much, and there's constant adjustments. And we were settling into a pattern where the water levels were kind of dropping over the last week or so. And then three nights ago, we had a torrential 
only about 20 minute rain, but it must have dumped a half an inch of water. And remember, any storm is collecting water over, you know, 20 or 30 square mountainous miles. And it all comes down to the creeks. And then it all goes down to the larger creeks. And then it all goes down to the river. So there's collection points. And we are one of those collection points. And when we had checked everything the evening before this rain, everything was stable. All the sets where water comes out of the ditches, etc., were going great. Just perfect. We have little adjustable head gates on them, and ponds were at perfect level. The ditches were at perfect level. We had this rain. Didn't think much about it. The next morning, we get up to do our check. There is water flowing everywhere, overrunning ditch banks, almost overrunning several pond dams, and it was an instantaneous change, unanticipated, from a single, seemingly short event. And I bring you this story in the context of the upcoming November election and what I said just a few minutes ago. Expect all sorts of false flags. Expect surprises. Expect the Democrats, but well, not the Democrats, the progressives. I don't want to lump all Democrats into the progressive camp. I brought you what I thought of that several weeks ago. But expect the progressives who are power-hungry and will do anything, as you probably know, to remain in power, to pull all sorts of tricks, every trick in the book, out of their playbook. From some new deadly disease, to some new deadly variant, to lockdowns, to paper ballots, to all sorts of things to keep you safe, you know. Expect fraud. And you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. You need to be able to say And be ready to say, I will not comply. And to get this election done. Because all the stuff you're hearing now can change in a heartbeat. Let me give you the founder's quotes for this show, which will tie right into the show, as you'll see. Benjamin Franklin, I'm going to give you two. Benjamin Franklin, this, the U.S. Constitution, is likely to be administered for a course of years and then end in depotism. When the people shall become so corrupted as to need despotic government being incapable of any other. Wow. And then here's another, which ties right into the military stuff we're going to go into today. Those who beat their swords into plowshares usually end up plowing for those who kept their swords. All right, let's start the historical story on immigration. You'll find this fascinating. All sorts of stuff I guarantee you, you didn't know. You know, the United States has obviously long been considered a nation of immigrants. It is part of its strength. In some cases now, for instance, it's part of its weakness. Attitudes toward new immigrants by those who came before have vacillated. They've ebbed and flowed. Sometimes they've been welcoming. Sometimes they've been exclusionary in some ways that I think will surprise you. You know, my number one national best-selling series, Threads Western American Saga, is historical fiction, and it is about exactly this. Uncommon origins, competing ambitions, differing viewpoints, and how all these men and women have come together to form the fabric of this country. By the way, it just won three more national awards. Thank you, judges, and thank you, readers, including Best Series, Best Fiction Series from the Indies, and Best Fiction Series from the Ippies. Two big deals. Thanks again. All right. This all began 20,000 plus or minus years ago. Anthropologists are almost certain that Native Americans, the Indians, 
Their ancestors crossed a narrow spit of land that connected Asia to North America, you know, eons ago and during the last Ice Age. There is all sorts of events that have occurred up to then. There's the Spanish invasion, if you will, of North America, South America, Central America. But I'm not going to really dwell on that. I really want to dwell on American immigration. In January of 1776, Thomas Paine, I've brought you many of his quotes and will bring you more in the future, he publishes his pamphlet, Common Sense, that argues for American independence. And this is where the idea of the melting pot first began. I quote him, because he makes the case for a new America, not a subsidiary of Britain, not a European colony, but, and I quote, Europe, and not England, is the parent country of America. The new world hath been the asylum for the persecuted lovers of civil and religious liberty from every part of Europe, unquote. In March of 1790, Congress passes the very first law about citizenship and immigration. It was called the Naturalization Act of 1790. Reprehensibly, it allowed any free white person, quote, of good character, unquote, who had been living in the United States for two years or longer to apply for citizenship. If you didn't have citizenship, and if you weren't white, you couldn't get citizenship, then you were denied constitutional protections, the right to vote, the right to own property, or to testify in court. In August of 1790, that same year, they have the first U.S. Census. The English, by the way, were the largest ethnic group amongst the, at that time, 3.9 million people counted. Nearly one in five Americans was of African heritage. Then you get to the Irish immigrant wave, 1815. After peace is reestablished following the War of 1812 between the United States and Britain, immigration from Western Europe turns from a trickle into a gush, and it causes a big shift in the demographics of the United States. And that first major wave of immigration lasts until the Civil War. It's really what Threads West, the epic saga, is about. Between 1820 and 1860, the Irish, many of them Catholic, they account for one-third of all the immigrants to the United States, and there were five million German immigrants who also came to the U.S., mostly settling in the Midwest. In 1819, there was a rash of immigrants that were arriving either sick or dying, and basically the hospitals were overwhelmed in New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Charleston. The United States passed what was called the Steerage Act of 1819, which required better conditions on ships crossing the Atlantic to bring immigrants to the country. In 1849, by the way, at that time, they required ship's captains and ship companies to start keeping records on the ethnic composition of immigrants to the United States. That was really where it began, that record keeping. In 1849, America's first anti-immigrant political party, which was called the Know-Nothing Party, believe it or not, they form, and it's a backlash to the increasing numbers of German and Irish immigrants coming to the United States. In 1875, this is after the Civil War, states begin passing their own immigration laws, and in that same year, the Supreme Court declared that it's the responsibility of the federal government to make and enforce immigration laws. <laughs> The Supreme Court at that time assumed that laws would be made and they would be followed, unlike what's happening in today's environment. 
Then we come to 1880, the Chinese Exclusion Act. So America has begun its rapid industrialization and urbanization. There's a second immigration boom that begins about this time. Between 1880 and 1920, more than 20 million immigrants arrive. Most are from the southern, eastern, and central European countries, including 4 million Italians and 2 million Jews. Most of these people settle in major cities and work in factories. In 1882, Congress passes the Chinese Exclusion Act. This bars Chinese immigrants from entering the U.S. because starting back in the 1850s, a steady flow of Chinese immigrants or workers or victims of kidnappings had immigrated to America. They had worked in gold mines and garment factories, built the railroads, took agricultural jobs, but the Chinese are industrious and they're ambitious and they began starting their own companies and starting their own businesses and they were very successful. So even though Chinese immigrants made up only like two one hundredths percent of the United States population they were blamed by other Americans for low wages. The 1882 Act is the first in American history to place broad restrictions on certain immigration groups. 1891, the Immigration Act of 1891 further excluded who could enter the United States. It barred the immigration of polygamists, you know, like Mormons, people convicted of certain crimes, the sick, the diseased, and the act also created the first federal office of immigration to coordinate immigration enforcement and immigration inspectors. In January of 1892, Ellis Island opens. Up to that time, Castle Garden had been the major port of entry in New York for immigrants. 12 million, 12 million immigrants would enter the United States through Ellis Island between 1892 and 1954. In 1907, U.S. immigration peaked, well, not including what's happening on the southern border over the past year. 1.3 million people entered the country through Ellis Island alone. <laughs> now we have almost 2 million entering over the southern border. None of them checked. None of them cataloged. None of them vetted. Oh, it's just great. February 1907. Prejudices were growing in California over Japanese workers, and people were afraid that it would cost American workers farming jobs, and depressed wages. So the United States and Japan sign what's called the Gentleman's Agreement. Japan agrees to limit Japanese immigration to certain categories of like business and professional men, not laborers. And in return, Theodore Roosevelt, the president at that time, urges San Francisco to end the segregation which was occurring of Japanese students from white students in San Francisco schools. And when we come back, we're going to finish up this historical portion of our immigration story. And then I'm going to tell you the rest of that story. Welcome back, listeners. Read Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. We're right in the middle of historical story of immigration in the United States. In 1910, just to give you a reference point here, three quarters of New York City's population consisted of new immigrants and first-generation Americans. And it's not too different today. In 1917, it kind of on the eve of us getting involved in World War One, there was the Immigration Act of 1917, which established a literacy requirement for immigrants entering the country. And it halts immigration from virtually all Asian countries. In May of 1924, the Immigration Act of 1924 limited the total number of immigrants allowed into the United States yearly with nationality quotas. 
This goes all sorts of different ways over the next almost 100 years. That law favored immigration from northern and western European countries, particularly Great Britain, Ireland, and Germany. They accounted for 70% of all the available visas in this law. And immigration from southern, central, and eastern Europe was limited. It completely excluded immigrants from Asia, except the Philippines, which was an American colony. In 1924 also, in reaction to this law, illegal immigration to the United States began to increase. This was really the beginnings of it. You know, you put your finger in the dike and the water will find another way. The U.S. Border Patrol was established that year to crack down on illegal immigrants beginning to use the Mexican and Canadian borders. By the way, many of those illegal immigrants at that time were Chinese and other Asian immigrants who had been barred earlier that year in the Immigration Act of 1924. During World War II, there were labor shortages, and that prompted the United States and Mexico to form what was called the Bracero Program, B-R-A-C-E-R-O. That allowed Mexican agricultural workers to enter the United States temporarily. The program was ended, supposedly, <laughs> right, uh, in 1964. In 1948, the United States passes the nation's first refugee and resettlement law to deal with all the Europeans uh, leaving Europe after World War II, after the devastation there. In 1952, the McCarran-Walter Act ends the exclusion of Asian immigrants. From 56 to 57, the United States brings in about 38,000 immigrants from Hungary after their failed uprising against the Soviets. They were the first Cold War refugees, the first of three million Cold War refugees. 1960 to 1962, John F. Kennedy's tenure. 14,000 unaccompanied children flee Fidel Castro's Cuba and come to the United States as part of a secret, so-called, anti-communism program called Operation Peter Pan. In 1965, LBJ gets the Immigration and Nationality Act passed. It overhauls the American immigration system. It ends all the national origin quotas that began in the 1920s. And that quota system is replaced with a seven-category preference system, which emphasizes family reunification and skilled immigrants. Over the next five years, there is a flood of immigrants from the regions of Asia, which were in upheaval, Vietnam, Cambodia. In fact, Asian immigrants quadrupled based on family reunification, which is one of the excuses used now, of course. In 1986, Ronald Reagan signed the Simpson-Mazzoli Act. It granted, regrettably, amnesty to three million illegal aliens living in the United States at that time. It was a major mistake of Reagan's, one of his few major mistakes. We'll talk about it more in the rest of the story. Then in 2001, Dick Durbin, ah, what a peach, the Democrat from Illinois, and Orrin Hatch from Utah, a Republican, they propose the first, quote, Development, Relief, and Education of Alien Minors Act, which was the precursor to the DREAM Act, which Congress never passed, despite a number of attempts, but Barack Obama, with his pen and his phone, signed as an illegal, although it has been upheld, as an illegal and anti-constitutional DACA bill 20 years later. In 2012, which was when the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA, was planned, Dreamers, as they were called, 
were also protected from deportation, but no path to citizenship was provided. In 2017, Donald Trump issues two executive orders. They're both entitled Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry into the United States, and they were aimed specifically at curtailing travel and immigration from six majority Muslim countries, Chad, Iran, Libya, Syria, Yemen, and Somalia, as well as North Korea and Venezuela, by the way. Both these travel bans were challenged in court but survived. And then in April of 2018, the travel restrictions on Chad are lifted. And also in 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court again upholds the third version of the ban on the remaining seven countries. Now let me tell you the rest of the story. You know, the rest of this story is that as you've gone through this history, I'm sure certain things clicked with you. Oh, that's where that started. Oh, that's where the Mexican agricultural worker thing started. Oh, that's where the Asian thing started. And that's exactly right. What progressives have done is that they have taken those parts of previous immigration law for the last 230 years, and they've weaponized them to ignore the laws on the books, and hence you have the, the, the debacle on the southern border, which is politically motivated. There is no empathy, there is no sympathy, there is no, oh, we feel so badly for them. That's nonsense. That is the cloak of the progressives. What's really going on here is the great replacement theory. We're going to talk more about that next week, but bottom line is, and I think it's going to backfire on them because many of these immigrants are fleeing communism. They're not coming to America to have to endure it again. But next week, we're going to talk about that in depth as part of the, shall we say, follow-up to this segment, which will be the recent history of immigration. Basically, 2017 and Donald Trump to now. It is a scary prospect on many, many levels. Environmental, safety and security relative to terrorism, jobs, employment, and wages, and demographic assimilation into the values of the United States which is a key component into maintaining those three pillars that they must destroy to accomplish what they plan for the United States and globalism. The last two weeks, historical stories. Everything is interrelated, folks. Everything is interrelated. And it is all about power, politics, and money, as most things, unfortunately, in today's world are. Let's talk about what's going on on the military side. Let me give you a little background. The Army sizes to major warfighting requirements. The Marine Corps focuses on crisis response, demands the ability to contribute in one major war. The Air Force, they try and strike a balance. That accounts for historically based demand across a spectrum, a global spectrum, because air assets are easily shifted or should be easily shifted. And the Navy is also driven by global presence requirements, a continuous fleet presence at sea. And the Navy has to have three to four ships in order to have one on station because the others are down for a year or two for maintenance, crew, etc. In today's day and age, and I've brought you this story two weeks ago, in today's day and age, the military budget, besides much of it going to graft corruption and what Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex, is competing with all sorts of social by-the-vote programs and 
fabricated and conjured COVID programs. And these are trillions of dollars that are being siphoned out of the Treasury, siphoned out of what America really needs, and siphoned away from defense. In addition, you have, and I've brought you these stories, you have this woke crew leading the military right now. You know, Austin, the Secretary of Bents, and then the Joint Chiefs of Staff led by, oh, yes, <laughs> Millie. Well, one of the nation, this was April 18th, by the way, it was actually about three, four weeks ago. One of the nation's top Pentagon officials resigned. His name was Preston Dunlop. He accepted the position from Trump as the founding chief architect and officer of the U.S. Air Force and Space Force. This was a position that Trump created in a new branch of military, the fifth military branch that he created. He posted his resignation letter on LinkedIn. And let me give you a breakdown of what he had to say. Dunlop warned that the Pentagon was lulling itself into complacency at exactly the time that the military should be running on, quote, all cylinders. He said that at the time he was actually writing his resignation letter, the phone lines at the Pentagon were down. This is in the year 2022, folks. He referred to the U.S. government as the world's largest bureaucracy and rebuked the entire structure of the federal government as a relic from another era. Dunlap said that by the time the U.S. military produces something, it's obsolete. He also said that the politics that had infiltrated the Pentagon was, quote, miring the military in controversy and keeping it from fulfilling its mission, unquote. He said the military better stop distracting itself with the process and competing with each other rather than China and defending political turf instead of the country. In 2016, the Washington Post exposed how the Obama and Biden administration used the military for social experiments, hormone replacement, therapies for transgender service members, etc., etc., etc. Okay, Dunlop attacked all these social programs. He hammered home the fact that the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, and the Space Force existed to protect the nation to be able to fight and win wars. And he lamented the fact that military leaders now, and this goes back to my series on education. I mean, you can get all these www.ontherightsideradio.com. Listen to these historical stories, folks. They will really open your eyes. They will make you understand what is going on now in the context of American history. Anyway, he lamented that military leaders now have been trained in liberal universities and they're going with, quote, the political flow and agenda of the Biden administration, unquote. He blasted this racial equality stuff the Pentagon have going, you know, critical race theory and trying to achieve equal outcomes and said nothing about the military is equal. It is, quote, built on a hierarchical structure to win wars, not culture battles. You know, our friends here on the left, the progressives, that is, not the liberal Democrats who are Americans and think left, not the red dog Democrats, the Reagan Democrats, but the progressives that control the Democratic Party. If you go back in history, and I had this history, on the right side radio.com, listen to those historical stories. They started out as Marxists, proudly proclaiming themselves as Marxists back in the 1920s and 30s, 
Then they were communists. Then that didn't go over so big, so they were socialists. Then they were liberals, which was a theft of that term. Then they were progressives. And now they're social democrats. And you know what, folks? It's the same game, different names. They always change the name of whatever it is as people catch on. And they're going to be doing the same thing with their rhetoric on the election. They're all going to pretend to be all for America and America first. They're even going to pretend to be MAGA folks. Maybe they'll pretend to be ultra MAGA folks. It's all one big lie. You put these people back in power, any of them. Tester in Montana as one example here in the West. And they will vote the same way, Chucky Schumer's way and Nancy Pelosi's way, which, I'm here to tell you, is not the American way, quite intentionally. And by the way, they will also, because this is the rule for radicals from Saul Alinsky himself, quote, accuse your opponent of what you are doing to create confusion and to inculcate voters against evidence of your own guilt. (laughs) Get ready for that. Because it's coming. In fact, this last week, Joe Biden has announced he, and has acted, that he has decided to stop working with Republicans. Instead, he's going to pounce on Republicans. And he's going to use Donald Trump as their whipping post. There was a piece in Politico last Tuesday that there wasn't a single moment that changed Cadaver's course, really? The great uniter? I don't think so. But he's now at the point where ultra-MAGA Republicans are responsible for Buffalo, didn't you know? And did you know that parents at school board meetings, according to some Democrats, they're the same as the Buffalo shooter? Yes, absolutely. And when we come back, we'll finish up thoughts on the upcoming election, and then rat-a-tat-tat. Welcome back, folks. Read Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Let's talk a little bit about the upcoming election, and then rat-a-tat-tat. Listen, the Democratic Marxists are so desperate that they're going to toss the kitchen sink at us to see if it will stick. They're going to lose badly unless they cheat, unless they lie, or unless they fraud. That's why you need to get involved, and I hope you do. Remember, we have a Take Action page on the website. Hit Take Action. Go to that page. You can see my outlines for getting organized, what you need to do. Go to truthevote.org. Get some help. Go to your local election board. Get involved in your elections. Take a look at who and what cause you can contribute to on that Take Action page and do so. In the next few weeks, I'm going to bring you my recommendations for the upcoming election, particularly now that a number of big primaries are passed, Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina, etc. And which people of ours, which Americans who are running for office, more need your help than others because you can't give to everybody. So, You're organized, I hope. You're getting involved, I hope. You're going through voter registration data rolls. You're matching obituaries to voter rolls. You're researching the voter registration database, which is an ongoing task, by the way. You're submitting duplicate names, false names, names of dead people to the state attorney general, the press, and to your local election board. Have you found out what you need to do to be a poll watcher, to be a fraud stopper? Contact your local election officials and find out. Take the training. Have you contacted True the Vote? Probably the best single source in the United States for helping you get organized about elections, election fraud, and the conduct of elections. One vote, one person, citizen, legal, resident. That's truethevote.org. 
truthevote.org. Contact them. Contact them. This is not a slam dunk this coming November. They're going to throw every piece of spaghetti at the wall they can and see what sticks. Get off the couch, folks. It's your future, your family's future, and your country's future. Let's go into rat-a-tat-tat. You know, we thought Disney had kind of woke from its wokeness. Well, maybe not so much, because they just announced this week their new LBGCQ clothing line for children. Oh, that's terrific. Now you can buy all your kids this new clothing line, which is specially suited to transgender and gender-confused children. Great. Remember, on the rightsideradio.com, click on Rat-a-tat-tat. You can read all these Rat-a-tat-tat stories in detail. And then, kind of a related story in a way, the New York Times had an article this week. 1.2 million less kids in public schools this year. That's a really good thing. Congratulations to you parents. And 3.6 million, give or take, kids in charter schools. The huge percentage of those minority students. Because you know what? Charter schools work. But the Department of Education folks, you know, the feds that want to indoctrinate your children, they don't like that much. So they've issued some new regulations, and they've given more power to local school boards. I'm not even sure it's legal. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. To turn down any requests for charter schools in the names of, you know, the community getting along. Oh, okay. Folks, if your kids are in public schools, I surely hope you are at every school board meeting. You are participating in every school board election. You are talking to your kids all the time. You know what their curriculum is. And you know, if it's one of them woke curriculums about sex and CRT, critical race theory, and all the rest of the nonsense, and, you know, the founders were racists, blah, 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 I hope you pull them out of school. You're doing them a huge favor, you a big favor, and your country a tremendous favor. All right, Nancy Pelosi, speaking of Democratic Marxists. So, she was on ABC This Week with George Stephanopoulos, who asked her about this nationwide baby formula shortage. She didn't tell him what they were going to do about it. No, instead she blamed Republicans. You know, here we go. All the Democrats move in lockstep here. It's time to start blaming the Republicans and Trump and et cetera, et cetera. It's election time. And he asked her why all the formula was going in pallets to fully stocked shelves on the border for illegal aliens. Quote, babies are crying. We need to get them food. Unquote. Oh, well, Nancy, terrific. If you didn't have an open border, you wouldn't have babies there crying. And by the way, what about American babies? Then she has to, she comes out and she says, She's going to lower some of the regulations, etc., so that's easier to buy. 50% of WIC, so loosening that, but she's not even coherent anymore. By the way, the WIC is known as the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children. You know, more government, because it works so well. And then, a few days later, she came out thinking that maybe her comments had been a little lame and said, what we really need is indictments over this baby food problem. Well, you know, Nancy, I kind of agree with you, so where can they go slap the cuffs on you? Please let us know. Then we have, these people are friggin' unbelievable. You know, the corruption 
drums, they just keep beating. 120,000 emails released from Hunter Biden's computer. You know, the laptop that didn't exist two years ago, according to all the mainstream media and the Democrats. 120,000 emails. You can search them online, by the way. Let me know if there's any good videos. Durham has basically, I'm not going to go into the Sussman trial and all the details, mainstream media, whatever. Well, mainstream media won't even cover it. Alternate mainstream media will cover it. But I will tell you that, quote, I'm quoting Patel now. He has laid out a joint venture conspiracy. Those aren't my words. Those are the legal words we use as prosecutors that John Durham has placed in his pleadings, unquote. There's a lot more going to come out of this, folks. What the end result is, we don't know. But I think we're going to see a lot of stuff in the next few months. Then Biden, who's so concerned about, oh, those high energy prices, which is all the fault of Putin, that putrid Putin. Well, guess what? He just killed leasing for an Alaskan offshore and Gulf offshore leases. And then they blamed it on lack of industry interest. Yes, I mean, with oil at $111 a barrel, which is about $50 more than you need to be way profitable, I'm sure the oil industry wasn't interested in leases at all. You know, not not at all. It's just unbelievable. By the way, the Department of Interior, who canceled the leases at Biden's orders, they couldn't tell the press how they came to the conclusion that the industry wasn't sufficiently interested in these sales to move forward with them. Hmm, I wonder why that is. Oh, yes, and then we have Zuckerberg, you know, Zuckbucks. I think he's probably tamped down a little bit for this next election. We'll see. You know, when you're a billionaire, there's always ways to get things done. But he is now under attack from nonprofit organizations. You know, (laughs) you got to kind of love it. The left always eats their own. And they claim, and by the way, this includes like the ICLU, I mean, some big names. Basically, number one, privacy restrictions by Google and Apple have cut down advertising revenue on Facebook or Meta, as Zuck renamed the company last October. Number two, the company is subject to continuous antitrust lawsuits from the Federal Trade Commission. Well, good for the Federal Trade Commission. Get some more ramped up. Break them up into little pieces. And three, Zuckerberg has lied. Oh, come on. Zuck would never lie about inherent dangers that Instagram poses for teenagers. Anyway, uh, the shares in Meta, you know, Facebook, formerly Facebook, are down 41% so far this year. That's a really good thing. Ah, the disinformation board chairman, you know, the new disinformation monitoring board that cadaver Obama third term are setting up, you know, because you're not smart enough to get information, decipher it, make decisions on it, decide what's true or false. She now has come out (laughs) and says she wants to edit social media posts. Yes, she wants the right to edit social media posts. What could go wrong with this idea? And then after that incredible announcement at the beginning of the week, she resigns at the end of this week. Who knows who they're going to nominate next? My, my. And then Schumer, this is just a couple days ago, he writes a letter to Fox and other news outlets, and they need to immediately get rid of Tucker and Hannity and Ingram because Fox and those hosts, they are the cause of violence and the Buffalo shooting, which, of course, is all linked to J6 somehow and all linked to the ultra-maga crowd and especially linked to Republicans and absolutely linked to Trump. Yes, absolutely. 
And then we have the squad. Oh, what those lovely ladies there in the Marxist Democratic aisles of Congress. Rashida Tlaib. You know, folks, if you're Jewish and you're listening to this and you vote Democratic, I mean, shame on you for the past, but triple shame on you going forward. So Rashida Tlaib, the Democrat from Michigan, okay, she just introduced a resolution that recognizes the Nakba, N-A-K-B-A, which means catastrophe in Arabic and is used by the Palestinians in reference to the establishment of the state of Israel. And by the way, the resolution came a week and a half after Israel's Independence Day, which also coincides with the Palestinian commemoration of Nakba Day. Well, she thinks, let me give you her quote. Today, I introduced a resolution recognizing the Nakba catastrophe, where 400 Palestinian towns and villages were destroyed, over 700,000 Palestinians uprooted from their homes and made refugees. Gee, weren't all the Jews that went to Israel refugees from after 6 million of them plus got exterminated in Europe? I digress. Who, who wants to know that history? Quote, on this day, we must promote human rights and justice. The Palestinian people, since the 48, that's 1948, Nakba, have been living under oppression and violent racism. Oh, there's even racism over there. Silence plus blank checks enables more death and violence. And then she thanked the rest of the squad for co-sponsoring this blatant anti-Israeli resolution. Marie Newman, Betty McCollum, AOC, Omar Ilan. Cory Bush and Bowman. These people in your states, folks, I mean, are people really voting for them or is it just, you know, 2,000 mules stuffing the ballots? And by the way, that 2,000 mules movie, you got to see it. We have the whole movie, a link to the entire movie, very easy for you to see in the upper right-hand side of the homepage, on the Take Action page, and in the election fraud articles on the current show. You must see that movie and pass that link on. Other quick COVID rat-a-tat-tat. The German parliament rejected a compulsory vaccination bill. 378 to 296 was the vote. Good for them. Four Australian ministers, prime ministers of various provinces, have had to resign because of their authoritarian, to put it mildly, mandates, jab insistence, lockdowns, etc., May that happen to all of them. By the way, the FDA and the CDC has admitted that the jabs are only 50% effective against Omicron and its variants, and that that effectiveness, that efficacy, wanes in just several months. But despite that, they have approved jabs for 5 to 11-year-olds just a few days ago. Because, you know, I mean, if it's only 50% effective in adults, let's by all means stick the needles in our kids' arms. That's terrific. The AP reported this week, (laughs) you can't make this stuff up, quote, climate change may increase the risk of new infectious diseases, unquote. Oh, gee, uh, what's coming up in November? Oh, yeah, that's right, the election. Mm -hmm. CNN runs an article, CNN, quote, COVID-19 cases that return after antiviral treatment puzzle doctors. Well, you know, it seems that everybody's taking this Paxlovid, the other FDA, Fauci-recommended antiviral drug from Big Pharma. Well, lots of them are getting sick, even more seriously sick, after very initial, a few-day recovery, taking Paxlovid. Hmm, you might want to research it before you drop that down your gullet, folks. And, as always, we're out of time. Unbelievable. So repeat after me. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. 
I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and across the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. And next week, loads to cover everything affects you personally and your country and your family. We're going to finish up immigration and the subterfuges going on right now. We're going to go into the economy and housing. You know, there's big red flags flying on a lot of poles, including real estate. We're going to go into the history of China and the United States, our dealings together over many, many centuries. And we're going to go into a concerted and subversive attack on the food supply, which is accelerating. So you folks have a great week. We'll talk at you next week. Thanks for listening. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side.